Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> what time of year is it, Jeffrey? It's Halloween, David. And this is episode 306. For those of you who are not sick of our Halloween antics, welcome to the show. <laughs> we almost forgot. Yeah, it's true. We didn't we didn't really think about it, even though Dave brought over these lovely Halloween decorations. Well, for us, they're Halloween decorations. You all might have them out all year long. I don't know. Yeah, very nice uh, Halloween jack-o'-lantern there, though on the video, it just turns out like a like a silvery blob. That's because it's the ghost of a Halloween jack-o'-lantern. Wow. <laughs> and thank you for bringing this one. It was my mother's. Really spruced up the the broadcast foxhole. Oh, it was mom's, huh? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm honored to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we are not doing any decorations this year, but we just we go to the store and we walk up and down the aisles and enjoy the decorations there. That Which works. Has been fun. Go to Menards. Go to Home Depot. And your neighbors. Neighbors do it. You got that skeleton guy over here that with a horse and everything. Oh, something. It must have happened a couple of years ago. Some company, some manufacturing company in some other country, probably. I won't speculate where. Decided to do a whole factory where they said the guy probably came in with an idea. I got an idea. We're going to do the whole factory that just makes skeletons. Really? Oh, and they started cranking out skeletons because over the last couple of years, uh-huh. skeletons are everywhere. Oh, and all kinds. All kinds. Dogs, armadillos, people, elephants. Armadillos. Armadillos, sure. You go around the neighborhoods now and you used to see one skeleton or bad skeletons. And now there's just armies of skeletons dancing in people's front yards. and They're more uh, inexpensive. It must be. The guy down our street has a guy throwing a ball and two dog skeletons down there. Catching the ball? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really something. So and, and a little scary. Some some people's houses are a little too creepy. The gore. Would you agree? The gore we don't need. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see the Jeffrey Dahmer house, no. for instance. <laughs> Not necessary. No. So, but, but yeah, it, here it comes. And and it's getting cool here in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, almost snowed this morning, but not yeah, quite. That was scary. I almost had Wind, to get out my boots. Windy. Yeah. Cold wind from Valhalla. Yeah. And which is, you know, it's not too bad. We'll only have, let's see, we'll have uh, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Okay, only eight months of really bad weather here in Chicago. No. And then there's four months when you you don't want to kill yourself anymore. No, the no, it's just j- half of January, February, some of March. Yeah. It's no fun being out in November, December, yes. January, oh. February, March, April, May. Okay, seven. No, it's great being out in December. Is it? Yes. Oh, yeah, I in guess the so. snow, yeah, Christmas, sledding, yeah. okay. Christmas. New Year's. You're going to have to call and you're, cheer me up. You're sitting around inside with your warm drink and enjoying the snow out the window. And, then and the fact gets, your heater's not working. And then it gets to be a drag. Yeah. February. Yeah. So, so what's new with you, Dave? Well, I, I just wanted to share show and tell. Oh, what do you got? Oh, oh. So prehistoric Jeff knows. Animals. Yeah. I love these prehistoric mammals. And I saw this on eBay. And I thought, oh, it's one of those DK books. They're huge. All these pictures, so cool. Only five bucks. I hit buy. And then it arrived. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It It is. How many pages? For 12. 12 pages. <laughs> oh, and, oh, look at the writing. Oh, my gosh. Megatherium, though. A megatherian. That the writing Which, is big enough. A megatherian could read it. I love that. I wanted the picture. Yeah. Uh, Paraceatherium. That's not even a real thing. Yes, it is. Oh, they, come on. Yes, they are. No. Yeah. What's the that? Propaleotherium. Oh, somebody's it, pulling your leg. No. 
<laughs> Those aren't even real dinosaurs. Jeff, this is why the prehistoric era is so cool. But I really thought the book would be more. Okay, it's 23 pages. But... Oh, 23. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> so it's like, it's not a DK book. Yeah. 50 pages, yeah. lots of info, and the cool art. But anyway. So, and, you know, I had a model of the woolly um, rhino we talked about before on the air. And I said when I brought it to school, I, the kids were looking at it and they were like, what is that? I'm like, you know what that is? No, it's a woolly mammoth. I mean, a woolly rhino. And they're like, what does that? What? <laughs> they had no idea. Really? Like, how do you not know a, a woolly rhino? I don't know. But anyway. I'm going to donate it to charity. So how long did it take you to read it? Yeah, I haven't yet. Three minutes. <laughs> yeah, it will. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I was, um, I was looking for an old movie the other day because I get in, I get nostalgic and I like to see the old movies that I used to watch as a kid. And one of them was The Lost World, um, mm -hmm. which came out in around 1960 or something like that with Claude, was it Claude Rains? Possibly. I can't remember. Who, who, anyway, I was reading about the movie and they said that uh, it was a kind of a big production. I think Erwin Ir Allen did it and he originally wanted to do animatronic uh, dinosaurs because there's a there's at oh. least one big dinosaur fight scene and they were cutting back for some reason. I think that the studio was struggling because they had just finished Cleopatra. This is the story I heard, so it's probably not true, but they just finished filming Cleopatra, which was this, the huge, um, you know, Bert. Oh, yeah. Bert, Richard Burton. Richard Burton, and, and Cecil B. Elizabeth, DeMille. Elizabeth Taylor. Not, not the Cecil oh, B. DeMille yeah. one, but anyway, so they were, they ran out of money. So they had to use, they had to dress up lizards that, you know, they put on the extra fins on lizards and do the lizard fight scene and it, miniature fight scene instead of, instead of yeah. the stop action stuff, which saved them a ton of money. But it also ended up making it look like, you know, it's two lizards fighting in a, and when you're saying animatronics, you mean animation. Animation. Yeah. yeah I don't mean anima. I mean the, uh, like the Harryhausen stop motion yep. stuff. The King Kong movie in 85 was supposed to have this, oh, it's got giant animatronic Kong. And I think all it was was a hand. And then it looked so stupid. It did. Yeah. Should have animated it. But. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So maybe, Dave, uh, if you get the mood to make a movie. Because you used to make movies and I used to make movies. Mm -hmm. We could get a couple of lizards. Or we could do just <laughs> cutouts from your book. Right. Just cut <laughs> them out and we'll work on that. We will. Yeah. But first, we got a show. We do have a show for you. And we've got a, a special guest who we are looking forward to talking to. So put on your comfortable shoes. Your woolly mammoth costume. Your woolly mammoth costume, yep. Get out your popcorn balls. Did we talk about popcorn balls? <laughs> no, not The not best treat. The best treat when we used to go trick-or-treating, my favorite was the popcorn ball. And they're they're not easy to find. I had to go to Walmart, and you kind of have to go early in the year because they sell out, or they just don't get that many. So I bought uh, four bags of 12, so I've got four dozen popcorn oh, balls. That's... <laughs> I love them. That's my favorite. Yeah. I gave you one. I'm glad you brought them over for our chariot game. Yeah, but, but you're not uh, you're not cl clamoring to get more. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel bad. Well, let's give um, Hayes a call. All right. Let's call Hayes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads. I'm Dave. I'm Jeff, and we have a special guest with us tonight. Hayes, I'll say hello. Hello, Hayes Walford here. All the way from somewhere else in the world. He's not here in the broadcast foxhole with us, which is which is why it's so roomy. And we have our uh, Halloween decorations there. So welcome, Hayes. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. It's always good to have uh, a new voice in the broadcast foxhole. So, uh, And it's Halloween, getting to be Halloween up here. Is it getting to be Halloween there? Way down it south? Is. It is. We're a couple weeks away. Yes, I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We have nine and five-year-old boys, so it's a big, 
big day around our house. Yes, fantastic. Hey, will they be dressed up like the two half squads this year? <laughs> no, I could uh, I could promote that idea. Um, they're going to be a secret agent. The nine-year-old and the five-year-old will be a mummy. Ah, good, good. God, that sounds fan. That actually sounds fantastic. I, I had two girls, so every year it was a princess or Britney Spears, and boy, I mean, I, they're they're great, but never could get them to dress up like uh, Marines or anything good like that. Secret agent is very cool. We do a lot of a lot of military play. I'll have to share that uh, year before last they went as Kelly and Oddball from Kelly's Heroes. Oh, <laughs> that's fantastic! Yeah. One of oh, one of my yeah. favorite movies. They've fallen into that. So, yeah, we have discussed that film on this show a couple times over the years. Um, my son has suddenly, out of nowhere, gotten into those animatronics, and he's been buying two or three of these real fancy ones. And they have a convention where people go to see the newest releases for the year, and he. He met a guy who does the designing of them. It's a big deal. It's become a whole thing, you know? And my wife was like, I, I, when did Adam get into this? And I said, I don't know why he likes it. And then she says, well, your your basement's full of Frankenstein model kits and the Wolfman, and you had played D&D &D with them. And Well, the boys are just the right age. Or are, you, are you starting to get them into uh, wargaming? Uh, they are. They are interested in wargaming. We'll play um, some simpler games. They've done the memoir, 44. Um, uh, we've got the old World War One airplane game, which I'm blanking on the name of it now. But uh, Dogfight. Dogfight, yes, where you have a squadron at each of the four corners of the board. And uh, really great, really, really simple but elegant mechanics. It's fun. Mm -hmm. so, and they know a little right? bit about a little bit about ASL. The older one, the nine-year-old, could probably step you through the um turn sequence at least the main phases so it's wonderful it's fun got to get them started early that's right that's right and then how did you get into the gaming thing, yeah. Hayes? so i started um kind of in the miniature gaming hobby my dad had a model railroad set so that was kind of my first interest in small models and building things when i was four or five years old and then i remember when i was 10 9 or 10 i bought war games illustrated i think it was issue 89 at a hungates back when we had a hungates here in town and it was a miniature war game magazine published in england um you know monthly publication pre-internet and all that and just loved it i mean I, i've still got the copy it's worn out and then um, from there thankfully i found a brick and mortar store in statesville north carolina so it's about an hour from us great store kind of the quintessential game store up above a used bookstore you'd go up this narrow staircase and you know you'd go upstairs and it kind of had that musty hobby hobby store smell to it um, and that fella had both miniature figures as well as um, asl and some of the gamer series games and, and other board games so i sort of fell into them about the same time and have always done it more or less concurrently i don't know that there's ever been a phase where i've been have more heavily or, or only involved in miniature gaming versus board games i've kind of continued playing both and you can't play by yourself so how how have you found uh, players all through that time right so uh thankfully on the miniature side there's a, a nice club down in the research triangle which is about an hour and a half from us so raleigh, raleigh durham chapel hill um they have an annual miniatures convention and really great group of folks probably 60 to 80 pretty active members down there so for the miniatures gaming that's been been a great outlet here in our town which is smaller we're about 200,000 um they're just a handful of miniatures gamers and then I've kind of historically had one or two um ASL players in the area so that's been good I don't do a lot of vassal I definitely prefer face to face so it's been it's been nice and they're actually I mean there's a pretty good group of guys around it's just hard for me with the kids to get a game scheduled. So um, Derek Ritter of Ritter Creek is mm -hmm. 20 minutes down the road. Um, so oh, when I buy stuff yeah, from him, yeah. I can physically go to his store, which is kind of kind of cool to walk upstairs and check out all his product. Um, 
so he has a tournament every year that probably has a dozen guys come into town. And then there's also a, um, the bitter ender tournament in Raleigh, which is a, it's the only ASL tournament I've ever been to, but I think a, you know, pretty good one. It's certainly not like ASLOC or one of the big ones, but they probably have 50 players. Oh, that's excellent. You know, from, from around the East coast, he gets guys driving in from four to eight hours away. Yeah, what time of year is that usually held? It's in the spring. I want to say it's about April. Um, and I think they missed a year or two with COVID, but it's it's restarted. And I've enjoyed that. I've done it twice. I, I wouldn't say that I'm heavily involved in the competitive side of ASL, but I enjoy the ability to play, you know, four to six games over the course of a weekend and know you're going to have an opponent. And I find that I can enjoy it more if I don't take it too seriously and I'm not too worried about the winning, but just getting scenarios complete and having fun with my opponents. Do you, you play how many games in a week then? At the tournament, I mean, at the tournament we would, uh, I think I've done like six. Okay. Like two. My brain would get too tired. (laughs) I found the first time I went, I was very tired and I did not have, I didn't really have the stamina for it. But the second time I went again, I tried to take it a little less seriously, not worry about every move and every turn and just, you know, know that I was going to make mistakes. And that was more fun. Mm-hmm. And then during your regular month uh, at home or with Derek, how often do you think you play? It's waxed and waned a lot. I mean, again, with kids. So I've had periods where I was probably playing twice a month since our boys, since oldest was born. And then I'll go three or four months and not play. Yeah. No, um, but I've gotten through some fun campaigns. A, a friend of mine, Kevin, here in town, he and I have done Maybe three or four campaign games. Suicide Creek being my favorite. I really liked that. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah, Jeff and I did all those scenarios. Not the campaign, but. It was fun. Building the, um, uh, I forget the rules terminology, but when you had to make the fords across the creek with the bulldozers and all that, that was really cool. And the corduroy roads, it just brought a lot of new stuff in. Yeah. So what came first when you were getting started was the, your, uh, obviously your dad had some influence because he had the model railroad, but how about the historical component? Are you as interested in the history? We actually know some ASL players that don't really care that much about the history. They just, they like the mechanics of the game. That's what really has drawn them in. But are you a history buff as well? Huge history buff. I would say history, my love of history probably came first reading and watching you know documentaries old war movies i mean i grew up on the longest day and bridge on the river kwai and uh you know um the those so that was yeah i'd say history came first and then i have a love of modeling and so i I really enjoy painting the miniatures and making the terrain and painting the buildings and i don't love plastic models but i enjoy painting um resin resin and metal models that kind of thing and so I would say that came before the love of the game, but then ASL just fit well into that because I I love all the different aspects of particularly, I mean, you know, World War II has always been my primary military history interest, although I love all other periods. Um, but it just, you know, it worked really well. So I'd, I'd say the game sort of came second, but close second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mine was reversed, I think. Well, no, I always played Army and stuff as a kid and had the Airfix miniatures, but didn't study the war uh, and really get into the um, learning about it until I had ASL. That really sprung me to that end. But we have Hayes on today because he has done some amazing work in the miniatures. So... um, I have my own. <laughs> so well, that doesn't have the turret. Where's the? So what I did with mine, Hayes, was the Japanese, right? And I did the labels nice. on the bottom mm-hmm. with the stats. Love it. So I built up a bunch of those, and then I did the stands. So that's the red striped. I just mm-hmm. put red marker around the label and my problem was when i did it this way i had to make everything individually right so they have squads label and Mm -hmm. i saw another guy at a tournament 
who had removable labels so he didn't have to paint such a complement of things, right? Um, what else here? Those are 15s, Dave? These are 15s, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, I did the light machine gun. Well, it's not a light. That's that's the heavy with the stats on the bottom again and mm -hmm. individual to, to attach to a squad. And uh, mm -hmm. the sniper cut out little octagon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and then you would send us an email saying you would start listening and threw in some shots, which I was just amazed with. Well, thank so, you. Yeah, they're great. And I will say, I mean, I've learned a lot through the process that I would do differently. But now that I've got hundreds and maybe thousands of miniatures, it's hard to go back. Um, but I use 20 millimeter War Games figures, which would be equivalent to 172nd model scale. And it's a scale that's been very popular in England for years and years, um, especially for World War II. But it sort of came out of, like you said, the airfix generations of plastic models and all that so i do similar to what you've got dave here are three 20 millimeter figures on a round base um i did the round just because i liked the look of it and you know really since facing for the squads doesn't matter i just felt like that was kind of good uh, i don't have a label on the bottom of this one but now one thing i've done on the labels is i do like you have dave where um it has the unit stats but then I'll go ahead and put below that the half squad stats. And so during a convention game, when I'm running it, I'll just cross out the top line with a pencil if they either deploy or if they're reduced to a half squad, I'll just cross that line out. Um, and that way I'm not having to do extra stands. When I first started into it, I was doing three and two figure stands and I realized that it was just fiddly. And at a convention game, I'll typically have three or four players per side versus just 1v1. So um, it makes it a lot faster than trying to swap out labels or do anything like that. And an, another, we can get into how I sort of utilize the rules for convention games. But one aspect of that that I leave out is ELR, just because again, I mean, I love ELR and the rules, yeah. but for a, a miniatures convention game, it's just hard to keep track of. And when you have lots of different fire attacks going on, people just either remember if they break or they don't, they don't keep up with how badly they broke. And it's, again, one less stat to have to keep on the counter. So that, that's one change to the rules. Um, but otherwise, you know, similar, I've got individual figures for leaders and heroes. And these are these are all Russian guys. Um, and then the vehicles. I do the vehicles uh, typically on a square stand and face them like the counter would be. So here's oh, yeah. a stoop, nice. you know, and it's faced face toward the corner so you can actually line it up in the hex. And then, uh, you know, here's a Mark IV. Nice thing about this, you know, one thing I love about the miniatures game is you can actually turn the yeah. turn the turret, you know, Sweet. so you don't have a turret counter. You just turn the turn the turret. So there's some benefits of the miniatures. You know, in general, it's a lot of work for maybe getting less of the actual rules out, but I just love the look of it. Um, so then at same thing, I've got crews, Dave. I have um I haven't gotten down to the level you have. That's I like what you've done with the individually mounted machine guns and all. I've got well, some mortars and heavy weapons. I think I weapons. forgot that that's actually for um, when you drop a weapon. Okay. So Very I cool. do have crude stands also. Very cool. Yeah, so most of mine are like that. I mean, here's a Russian, you know, heavy or medium maxim with uh, with the guys on the stand. So typically I just model that with them. A lot of times they're already cast like that. Um, so I don't I don't really change out. And then if um, if they leave a weapon or have to route away from weapon or whatever, I'll just put usually I'll put the physical board game counter out there. I try to not use the actual cardboard counters unless I just haven't made um, a model representation of it just because I prefer the look of a miniatures game, you know, when I'm doing a miniatures game. Uh, and so for the pen and break and the various markers that I use a lot, what I've done there is I've. Um, photocopied the counter and then put it on a bit, little bit larger wood base and then I've actually terrained around it so when you put it when you put it down it looks pretty nice um for the 
not I don't know if y'all want to get in the weeds with the rules, but but modeling wise with the broken guys, what I'll usually do on that is when they're um, when they're just broken, I'll put a casualty figure by them with a little yellow ring just so it's easy to spot. And then when they're DM, I'll throw the additional DM marker on there. But the but just the casualty figure would represent broken. Yeah, that's a good way to do that for sure. I think we were just turning them around mm -hmm. as broken, facing away. So I, I think the 15s, I mean, this was something I wanted to talk about just for folks that have an interest in pursuing this. I think the 15 millimeter figures, especially if you're going to use the four inch hexes, are ideal. So GHQ um, makes four inch foam hexes that you can buy by the pack. They're just a white styrofoam, but they're pre-cut. They're you know really crisp edges and all. And so you can paint and uh, terrain those however you'd like. One word of warning, you don't want to use um, spray paint on foam. You know, it, it, anybody that's done much modeling or wargaming, you learn pretty fast that uh, some of the propellants in the spray paint will eat foam, but uh, testers spray paints are fine. And then any just brush on paint is fine, um, but you don't want to use a, cheap rattle can spray paint because it'll actually start eating the foam. But um, yeah, so I think the 15 millimeter, if I was going to tell people how to really get into the ASL and miniature, I think 15 millimeter figures are the way to go because of the way the buildings sit really well within the hexes. So one thing that I don't love about my games from a game standpoint is the, the buildings oftentimes uh, kind of creep outside a hex. So it doesn't provide the same line of sight that playing on uh, geomorphic or you know historical ASL boards provides. You have to get a little more a little more creative. So if I wasn't acting as the referee and you were really had you know two guys who were wanting to do it somewhat competitively, it would it'd be kind of messy. Yeah, I think I have the H a lot of HL buildings scale, right? Fits with the 15s pretty good. Yeah, so that that does work out well, but. Um, yeah, again, I mean, my thought with the miniatures, I, I love the way it looks. Um, I love the way the ASL rules work versus a lot of um, historical miniature rules are good and provide a, you know, three to four hour game that you can finish and come to a completion. But every time I try to play a game with some of the truly just historical miniature rules, I feel like something's lacking. You know, it's like, where's the rate of fire? Where's the fire lane? Or uh, you know, I want to, I just had a great role in a rally check. Why can't I create a hero or, you know, go berserk or, or something, just all that fun chrome that ASL adds that very few miniature sets, I think, have captured. And a lot try to capture it. And without saying it, they're basically trying to do what ASLs do, and they just, they want to make it simpler and easier to pick up on, but hard to have both. Yeah, right. Yeah, I do have a set of 20 millimeters. Um, I had sold off a bunch of my 15s to a Flames of War person and thought I got tired of having two different scales. And so I used my 20s for another set of rules. Oh, we haven't played it in years. Um, I can't even think of it now. But so I do have some of the larger tanks and things too. So I, I will still play that as a skirmish game. But do love the ASL. So the only thing I, ha I have left is these the Japanese and then the Americans and the Marines. So awesome. I can do all Pacific. So, right. But yeah. But you have lots, lots of terrain stuff. I, I also had the hexes from my friend made them, and he was moving, and he just said, "Dave, will you give me like a hundred bucks for these?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I will." So I still have all those boxed, and uh, for a while stored in my wife's closet up high and. Like, you don't use these very often. <laughs> I know, but between all the other games, you know, um, but you're getting me fired up to want to break all this out again and get some games going. That's awesome. I, hope, hope, I don't hope run them. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Hayes. No, I just I hope it inspires you to get them back out. That's great. Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't run them at uh, tournaments. Do you find you can have rook, uh, inexperienced players sign up? and have a good time learning? I, I do. So what I've done when I've run it, um, and I, so I've taken it to um, miniatures conventions, um, Historicon being one of the big ones up in um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that the Historical Miniatures Gaming Society, or HMGS, runs. I've taken it there a few times. I've done it in Raleigh for that group a number of times. And, and what I do is myself and sometimes a second 
person who's helped me put the games together have acted as sort of umpires or GMs. And so almost all the fire attacks and everything, we just figure. I mean, we're not we're not asking the guys to know every modifier and, you know, be able to add up all their firepower. I mean, they, they get to where they can do that after a couple of turns. But basically the decisions are, you know, where do you want to move uh, via what route? Um, you know, and you explain to the guys how deadly it is moving through the open and they don't listen and then they lose a squad on their first move. And they're like, oh, that didn't happen in the miniatures games. Like, well, you know, 12 down two attack or whatever you just took is uh, painful. Um, but we try to figure a lot of that ourselves. And especially when you have armor, um, you know, a lot of times we'll just kind of not make up the modifiers, but, you know, if you've got a long shot, you know, highly unlikely shot i'll just have the player roll and if you know it's not going to be close i'll just tell them they miss or you know if it is close i mean the nice thing about being the gm it gives you a little bit of that omnipotence to where you know at the end of the day if you just tell them they miss they're not going to argue um yeah. and i'll use 95 percent of the modifiers but if i forget one each turn it's not the end of the world uh it's kind of what i found because the games are big enough and and the players don't have the mindset of a competitive tournament player they're wanting to you know, play the game out to a conclusion and see what happens with the rules. And I think the fire phase and the movement phase really excites people. You know, the ability to interrupt and, and first fire and subsequent fire and, and have multiple fire phases and the defensive fire phase is something that a lot of miniatures gamers are not used to and really enjoy. So, yeah, I think we've had pretty good luck. I mean, I would say um, there have only been a handful of people out of the you know hundreds maybe that have played over the years that have said oh that was too complicated and i think most people say i you know, enjoyed it and maybe they played asl or played squad leader years ago and it sort of interests them and in breaking it back out that kind of thing so we've had, we've had really good um feedback from it yeah i've run the um avalon hill circus maximus chariots in miniature mm -hmm. and i find people if they come to my house to play no experience. You just got to trust me when I go, you know, you can break, evade, or um, take the attack and then roll this low, you know, roll high. And if they just kind of roll with it, they get right into it. But mm -hmm. if they stop and go, well, what's this and this and that, you know, too analytical, <laughs> it's like it's going to slow things way down. So they got to kind of have some trust in you as the game master. And I'll recommend too. I wouldn't go that fast in the curve with your chariot. That's right. Uh, unless, that it's an, unless it's an emergency and you have to catch up because and then just roll low. <laughs> so you want to walk us through some pictures of sure. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, the terrain. Let's see. So I'm going to share the screen again. So this is a, a Stalingrad game that we put together and here's an example too. Um, so you can see the four inch hexes um, all with different terrain. I mean, we've got kind of snowy ones. We've got the road going through there off in the distance by that little common area fountain. You've, you've got some cobblestone ones we've done different things. Um, so I would set all those out. You know, they're all individual bases, individual hexes. So you're completely modular. Um, and this I loosely based on guards counterattack as far as the forces and general layout of the buildings. But again, I don't I, I've seen people who do the ASL and miniature that um, have made just, you know, beautiful representations of like board one and board two. Um, mine's used a little more artistic license, I guess you'd say. And, you know, I, I want the look to be right. I want it to look like a really good miniatures game just based around um, based around hexes. And then I throw the rubble out there with the the various urban games. Um, these are all resin buildings that I've painted. Uh, 3D printing has gotten huge in the war game world, of course. And so a lot of them are now 3D printed in resin or the various um, filaments and things they use. Uh, those paint up well. So yeah, Stalingrad game. I think I've got um, one more of that here close up. So you can see here's some Russian troops. Uh, again, mostly squads with three figures on the base. The information would be on the bottom. Uh, and I kind of like for a miniatures game how that gives some fog of war too. Um, just because if they've got a support weapon, you know, as long as the opposing player, I mean, it's easy to forget when you've got 15, 20 squads aside who has what. So it gives a little bit of 
natural fog of war just by putting the um, counters on the bottom is what what I found. But I think having them visible on the top is great too. Um, and are, I, I see shell holes. Are those individuals that can be placed uh, separate from the hex? Yes. Yep. They sure are. And so I would add those, uh, and and you know could even add those during play if there was a bombardment or something just for fun and and give a good. Um, give a good look and spread the rubble around. Um, you know, we've got telephone poles and fences and pretty much all the odds and ends that you would see in an urban urban setting. I'm working on a Berlin game right now, which I'm really excited about. Um, just started talking to some friends in Raleigh about that. So we're gonna potentially do the area around the Reichstag and the bridges and all that, so. Mm. We'll, you, we'll mentioned, you mentioned taking some artistic license for some of your setups, so. Mm -hmm. what and I can feel all across the world, ASL players going, oh, no, what's so what exactly does that mean as far as the ASL play? So I guess I'd say with the the general map set up, um, because, again, you can see how the buildings, just the way they're constructed, they don't conform perfectly to the hexes. So, you know, like this little building in the foreground mm -hmm. here with a couple of Russian squads around it. It may or may not fit perfectly in a four inch hex, but I would just call it a um, one at hex building. And so therefore with line of sight, as long as you are tracing down, you know, a hex side, even if it maybe clipped the wall, I would tell the player that it was a, a clear shot. Or I'll fall back to more of like a true line of sight, like you do in a miniatures game you know, like with a laser or something like that, and just go from hex center to hex center and let it let it fall where it may. But um, that, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And I've when I've had, you know, big ASL tournament players over to play, I've had to kind of preface going in, this is going to be a little bit different. You know, we're not going to argue lines of sight. It's going to be a little more natural just because the models, at least in the 20 millimeter scale, don't blend themselves to that I, I think the line of sight is the big thing and then yeah. just the actual board setup just because um again i mean if i go back to that first photo here you know there's not a board that looks exactly like this but there are boards where you have two buildings and across the street two more buildings with yeah. here or behind so again what i would do is i'll look at a scenario to base the miniature scenario around and then i'll sort of tailor it to what i physically have and and what you know, the buildings will allow. So, you know, tanks are a great example. I don't have a model of every possible German AFV. Um, so a scenario might have a particular 251. And if I don't have that model, I, you know, I just don't have the model. Now I may give the 251 slash one, the ability, you know, if, if it's actually should have a 37 millimeter anti tank gun or whatever, I may tell the players, well, this is mounted with a 37 millimeter okay. anti tank gun. But just, you know, the array of counters you have in, in squad leader, you would spend a fortune trying to replicate in miniature. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, um, so here's one. This is this is an older one. You may recognize it. Um, this is Gavutu Tanambogo. Yes. Yeah. So the, uh, what was that when it first came out? Um, Bl Blood and Sand, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Wow. So, something like that when it came out in, in the magazine. So we did this prior to it being um, re-released. And so I, I remember this project fondly. Uh, I, I took the map, you know, that was one of those maps you had to cut out and put all together. So I did all that. And then I went to Kinko's and I had it, you know, giant sized, however big I could get it to have something to kind of start piddling with and working with. And then this was a situation where I actually cut all this out of blue board. So these are not the... Um, GHQ hexes. These are big sheets of blue board that I cut the hex pattern in with a hot knife. Wow. Um, and you can see the slightly larger um, joints, which I don't love how those look, but um, mm -hmm. that's where the actual boards come together. So you could get it into a manageable size to put in the back of a mm -hmm. car and take to a convention. Um, but, you know, you've got the landing craft. So this actually, I mean, if, if you look at the map, this is a exact recreation of the map. Um, as far as the size of the islands, you know, the hex arrangement, everything, it's all, it's all dead on. The things that I didn't model, and I'm, I'm going to go back actually here in the next few months and add are um, 
I think there was a dock or two that I didn't model and a couple things like that. But otherwise, it's it's as it is. Um, so here, an, a thing I had to do to make it more miniatures friendly was I had to go ahead and cut the caves into the hillsides. So as the player, you can't decide where you want the cave. It's more, you know, as the game master, it just made sense to put them where they are. And, uh, you know, that way you have a model recreation of it that the players can can see versus putting a cave counter out there. Yeah, but you don't have actual hexes then going up the mountains? Uh, I do. I do. Let's see. I think I have maybe a closer. Yeah, here's a closer shot. People listening to the podcast, I'll put several of these pictures up on the website, but you can always click over to the YouTube for this one. So here is, um, and I forget now which one's Gavutu and which one's Tanambogo. I think this is Tanambogo. Um, you can all you can see it much better in real life, but you can almost make out the hex grid going up the hillside there. You can see it on the beach, and that same hex grid does continue okay. all, all the way up the hill. One thing I had to learn there was dealing with the steep inclines Yeah, um, is when you put a hex, it's hard to describe, but when you put a hex grid over a 45 degree angle, it does not, it skews the length of the hex. Mm -hmm. So right. that was, that, that took some doing to kind of get that uh, laid out just right. Something you don't think about when you're playing on the board. Um, here's another close up. So here's some Japanese pillboxes. Um, the Marines have landed. Looks like they've taken over a pillbox and got some Japanese in the trench behind there. Uh, wow. Yeah, so, so PTO, I, I really enjoy PTO. Um, here's some more recent ones. This is a late war. I, I based it on a Hurtgen Forest um, scenario. I forget which uh, third-party publisher, but I, I grabbed it from one of the scenario packs. And here's one you can see I sort of I did on the fly. I had a friend coming over, and so I hadn't gotten all the bases labeled, and so I just stuck the actual ASL counters up on top of the up on top of the base, and that worked out fine. I mean, it yeah. it doesn't look quite as good, but it made it easy and saved me an hour of sticking labels on the bottom that I hadn't gotten to yet. Um, let's see. Yeah, here's another one. It's a little rubble building. Got some AFVs in the back with the Shermans. Oh, I have that building too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's yeah, an old Hubble's model. Um, you can see the yellow rings around the figures I've got there to show that they're broken. You can see a DM counter behind the American squad over there on the bottom left. Um, you can see the roof off the building at the very bottom with the German squad in there. So that's one nice thing about miniatures. Uh, most of the buildings in 20 millimeter, the roofs will come off, the floors will come out. So you can physically put the figures on the level that they're on which is fun. Um, let's see here, a couple more. Here's a Normandy game that I did last summer at a game store. Um, so you've got some wheat fields, some hedgerows. You can see a Puma's gotten destroyed there in the foreground. Another Puma's coming up behind it. Um, so, and I love, I love, again, just the visual representation there. I mean, you know, you can see, clearly see that that straight road. And if you put a machine gun at the end of it in that orchard, you know, you could have a great fire lane there. I mean, just, I don't know. I just like the visual representation of it. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks for that. That's really cool. Insightful. And uh, is that grain and then brush back there? Yeah, grain. it's actually two different ways of how I made the wheat fields. And I, I was okay. sort of in the... Uh, I was in flux on how I was doing it. The one closer to us is um, doormat that I cut up. Yeah, okay. And then oh, the yeah. one further on is um, teddy bear fur, yep. which I've gotten better at using that since I made those hexes. But um, you can buy it at Joann's or Michael's, you know, by the yard. And then you shave it down, cut it down, and paint it. Um, so I use that a lot for yeah. not Mine just... Mine are the two. teddy bear fur. And then I just made the doormat finally after 30 years of wargaming i just cut it into squares and rectangles but not for the asl just for the other miniature games so what else what other um miniature games or periods do you play uh i got all the civil war and we were doing a lot of fire and fury mm -hmm. and then the american civil war i mean um rev war mm -hmm. with washington's wars that's quite an old set of rules but works very well 
And then for our beer and pretzels games, Desperado in the Old West, which I did one which was a zombie one that I saw someone else do at a at a, at a uh, convention. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun. And what else? Oh, the Vikings game where it's silly. They come on and they just search and try to attack each other and take things and they're finding in in these little buildings and all this stuff. So some of them are very light and then more are a little more heavy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got, oh, I got the uh, Ancients of All Types for Might of Arms is where I left off. We just started playing that again last month. I got 13,050 millimeter miniatures. Wow. Yeah, so their boxes, Jeff can tell you, the boxes like this. This has 346 minis in it. And then I have the Romans. You know, and all of them are like 300, right? So Romans, the Celts, the Assyrians, Egyptians. I started with all that, then went into the Civil War, and then American Rev. And I ran games at school for kids, too, in a club for several years. Yeah, it's nice simple ones <laughs> so were you doing the miniatures or um, board games first really it was well let's see D D first and then mm-hmm. i got into squad leaders guy just said we're gonna buy this most difficult game and you can handle it I said no i can't and it hooks you mm-hmm. right asl and he walked me through everything and also war games at his house he had friends run the 15 millimeter uh, rome romans and someone and that hooked me too i'm like okay i'm going to do that i'm going to do this asl and it stayed at that for a long time and then the chariot game gladiators just kind of branched out a bit over all the years very cool yeah Let's see, I've got one more brought up here. Uh, yeah, so just another another shot of that same Normandy game with some hedgerows and wheat and 251s and little stumps in the background. I like to add little, little things like that. I've got, uh, you know, furniture for the rubbled buildings, different little add-ons, which uh, make, it, make it nice. I'm using that as a, um, not a hedge row, uh in this particular scenario that was actually bokash okay yeah um just just depending and again i don't utilize i mean it not to upset the asl aficionados listening here but um with the bokash a lot of times i'll just have the additional plus modifier i mean i'm not going to get into every single bokash rule just because oh. the guy the guys who are playing in a six-player game they've never seen the rules they're not going to know the difference and they don't need to <laughs> the goal the goal would be to get to a good fun outcome and you know have have fun things happen you want you want a lot of firing and squads breaking and tanks blowing up and you don't want to get too uh, in the minutia if you can help it no you don't so do you have a, something special, to, a way to mark a hex or a AFE or something if it's on, on a blaze? Uh, yes. Yep, I sure do. I've got the various, um, you know, smoke and fire that I'll put out um, and that we've actually had smoke spread if there's wind and, you know, yeah. use smoke grenades. And, and I, I do try to use a lot of that just because, again, that's the chrome that I love. I mean, yeah. they're not... Um, Offhand, I can't think of a miniature set of rules that really does a good job of representing smoke grenades and just the way they work within the movement phase and protecting you and all that. It's, it's pretty special. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, it sure is wonderful. And uh, looks Thank like you. we should start wrapping up here. Do you have anything else, Hayes, you'd like to add? No, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. I, I love the show and uh, it's great to have an ASL podcast, you know. Oh, well, good. Um, we've enjoyed doing it mostly over the years, right, Jeff? Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Especially the opportunity to meet people like you, Hayes, who who are doing something a little different with the hobby and um, and and expanding the hobby. I can imagine that somebody, at least some of the people that are not familiar with the ASL rules, are intrigued by it after playing one of your games and maybe hopefully get into it. 
Plus, I you're turning so. out kids. You're turning out kids that'll play, which is terrific. Thank you. Yeah, I think the visual piece of it, you know, will will draw people in um, yeah. to look. If I'm doing it at a hobby shop or a convention, um, it, it'll bring people in. And then, yeah, you never know where they'll take it with the rules, but at least they know they're available and um, something they might want to get into. I've had I've, I've got into a and d group more recently, about five years ago, and I got a lot of those buddies over to play. And, you know, none of them have stuck with it yet, but they know it's available and they know it's out there. And and different um, other miniatures gamers that I've kind of, you know, helped at least they bought Beyond Valor and, you know, they're giving it a shot. So. Yeah, good. And so you'll, yeah, and you'll alternate kind of uh, either playing with uh, the miniatures and the big hexes or the boards themselves. Just I would say I play the board game more just because of the ease of setup. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I probably do a miniatures game five or six times a year at the most special it's a special occasion yeah, yeah it just takes you know. a lot to get out but boy it's beautiful yeah it's really amazing <laughs> yeah. thank you all appreciate the opportunity to talk about it yeah. all right well thanks sign off much. guys yeah thanks very much for joining us hazel hope to uh, hear more from you and uh, i'd like to see pictures of the of the secret agent and the <laughs> who was the other one going to be the mummy Ah, uh, the mummy. mummy. Yes, yeah. They'll they'll love to know that um, they got discussed on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we say um, remember to roll low and rally well, but, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Yeah, that would not be oh. good. All right, bye everybody. Bye, bye everybody. Bye. Good night. Take care. Bye bye.